college admissions is an ever-changing landscape. And applying to college has never been harder in wake of our new normal. That's why we are revolutionizing college admissions, one application at a time. Welcome to Talk College to Me, a D100 radio podcast featuring your co-hosts, Lynn Stewart and Vicki Thompson. Welcome to the third episode in our new podcast, Talk College to Me. We are excited to welcome John Gaines, the Director of Undergraduate Admissions at Vanderbilt to our podcast today. John began his career at Transylvania University, where he was the Director of Admission. From Transy, John moved on to Millsaps College in Mississippi, where he was the Assistant Vice President and the Director of Admission. John then moved to Vanderbilt in 2002, and during his tenure, they experienced an increase in the quality and the number of applications. I've been honored to know John for many years, have attended his presentations, and admired his work in regional and national organizations that support professionals like me and the students that we work with. Probably one of the most helpful experiences for a college admissions professional is to have your own children go through the process. John has a son and daughter who are now college graduates and they're working in their field. So congratulations, John, job well done. Um, John has been a friend to Lynn and me over the years and done great things for our schools. Um, and we are just delighted to have him here today. Thanks, John. Um, my question, I did a little uh, reading. You, you have an illustrious career out there so i did a little digging a little bit and um i'm, I'm going to start with quote um because i like quotes before the coronavirus before college students went home and stayed there before protests amplified calls for racial justice a whole bunch of teenagers did a normal thing at a normal time they tried to say something meaningful about who they were to a collection of strangers who could give them access to a great education. This is from Ron Lieber, New York Times, August 28th, 2020. My question for you is, as a veteran admission professional, talk about positive advocacy and what that means for the class of 2021 as they focus on trying to say something meaningful about their lives to a collection of strangers. I love that quote. And isn't it kind of the essence of college admission, telling your story to a bunch of strangers? Um, and, you know, uh, it's interesting because everything that's normal is, is different this year for the class of 2021. Um, and, you know, here at Vanderbilt, anyway, we recognized pretty early on in pandemic that it was going to be that way. Um, I, I authored and posted with, uh, with my Vice Provost for Admissions uh, back at the end of March that talked about um, how we were in strange days and how certain things really matter more than ever this year. Um, one of the things we talked about context mattering, we talked about involvement mattering and community mattering, but, but this notion of positive advocacy also really, really matters. The way I use that term is in reference to how an admissions officer can get behind, so to speak, a student's application and help propel it through a review process. That's what positive advocacy means to me, right? And it's, it's built on the work of the student applicant. 
the way that an applicant engages with the application platform, whether that's the Coalition application or the Common application or the Quest for application or the school's own application, um, the way the student engages with the form gives the admissions officer all the information they need to become that student's kind of internal advocate in the review process at the, at the school where the admissions officer works. And I think there's a myth out there in the world that admissions officers like to say no. And really, it's exactly the opposite. We love saying yes. Even at places that have really small admit rates, we love to say yes. And so positive advocacy is the tool that allows us to say yes. It, it's the framework on which we look for the students that we think are going to make the most interesting or best contributions to our campus. So it's an important piece of, of the work that I do, and it's, a, it's an important plank of the way I, I, I like to train team members to evaluate files. You know, another way to think about it is that it would be an, an easy thing to look for reasons to deny a student, right? A misspelled word or, you know, a, a, a check that's not all the way to the right on the counselor uh, recommendation form. That's too easy, and it's a cheap way out. And so positive advocacy is rooted in the notion of holism. And holism means that we're looking at a piece of the application to see what that student could do to our campus. And the places that are fortunate enough to practice holism um, are really, really fortunate. Um, and positive advocacy is a big part of that. You know, I was, I think it was a blog, an admission blog I was reading, and there was someone who had worked with you and they were really sort of uh, praising you as, as a mentor. And what the one thing that they had really learned was this whole notion of positive advocacy. And I think it's so important. I remember I had a speaker at our school once who said, you know, we're the office of admission, not rejection. And so I think students, you know, so often go into it thinking that the goal is to eliminate them when re in reality, <laughs> the goal is to make a strong case for them for why they should join their community. And so that's something we consistently have to reinforce with students and those out there listening, just know that the college wants you. They want to want you. And so all you have to do is let them know, sort of give them some insight into who you are because they already wanna say yes. That is so true, and, and um, any way we can bust that myth, I'm, I'm happy to contribute to that narrative because it, it's true. We're all looking to build communities and communities are made of people. You know, as I listen to your words there, Lynn, I, I, um, it just makes me think uh, that it may be important to remind students who are listening that they are humans on the other end of that submission of the application, right? And so as humans, admissions officers react in very human and personal ways to the things that, that are on the application. And that's also um, one of the planks of holism too, right? Um, if it could be done by machine, um, this would be a, a very small profession indeed because the computers would have learned how to, uh, to, to, to uh, program the algorithm to show us the students that needed to be, but it's not a machine, right? There are people on both ends of this process and and that's what makes it beautiful in a lot of ways. Yeah. And it's it's helping a student find that piece of their story to show to you all through their application essay that it doesn't have to be a big topic. It's it's 
personal and it's woven in a style that is uniquely their own through their own voice. And I, um, as Lynn and I are knee deep in the work of, of helping guide students through that process, it's comforting for them to hear from folks like you on the admission side that that story can be very simple. It just needs to be from the heart and it needs to be true. That's 100% true. I agree with you 100%. People think they have to have undergone some kind of trauma or to have had some amazing life experience to write a great college essay, and that's just not true. Um, if you think about it, most college applicants, traditional college applicants, I know there are tons of kind of applicants to college these days, but most traditional applicants are 17 or 18 years old, right? We don't expect you to have had a life change experience at age 17 or 18. That's one of the reasons you're coming to college, right? To get a broader life experience and a bigger education. Uh, so you don't have to have experienced anything significant in your life to write a really great essay. Um, you just, uh, as you said, Vicki, write it from your heart. Thanks, John. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, Mr. Gaines. This is Dylan from D100. With so many colleges and universities changing their policies, it's test optional. My first question is, does holistic review place more emphasis on the essay? You know, it's a really interesting question, Lynn. Um, there's always been a lot of emphasis on the essay. I think you um, somehow metaphorically could lap all of the admissions officers in the world in a big long line and ask them what their favorite part of the application evaluation process is. My guess is that 90% of them would say being the essays and the other 10% might say, I really like looking at the resumes. What, what admissions officers love is the pieces that you as students control. That's the part that we really like reviewing. We're going to get the information about your curriculum, about your grade, your transcript. We're going to get that from the adults in your high school or in your educational setting that are supporting you, right? But what we're only going to get from you is the piece that you produce. So to your question, um, in, in, in kind of the COVID era, I don't know that going test optional will place more emphasis on the essay but it might change the relative position of the essay amongst the many things that we consider in a holistic process. You know, without test scores, other parts of the application will naturally kind of expand to fill the void left where test scores used to be. And I can't say that that'll all be on the essay, nah. Uh, some of it might be on the transcript, on the earned record, and parts of it will be on the recommendations and the pieces of the application that the student presents. Fantastic. And then my second question is, how important is it to submit an optional essay or resume? Well, you know, it's interesting. Optional, the word optional causes so much stress in the college admission process. If it wasn't optional, we'd say it was required, right? So optional really does mean optional. Um, I think if students need extra space to tell their story, um, if they want to tell more than naturally fits responses to the prompts or on uh, um, extracurricular activities grids or on the coalition and common applications, then it's appropriate to use that option space to do it. Sometimes people press me on this, right? And so if you ask the question again, I might say, all right, it's optional, but if you really want to, to fill that space, fill that space as long as you're telling us more about yourself, right? Um, because again, back to my previous answer, the pieces that the, app, that the admissions officer loves the most are the pieces that are created by the students. Perfect, optional, thank it you. It does mean optional. Um, and and, and uh, I don't know how else to say it. I did, it's an interesting story. 
the National Association for College Admission Counseling um, just the past month submitted a, a document out there for deans and directors to sign that being test optional really meant we were test optional. I was really proud to sign that for Vanderbilt because, you know, being test optional is new for us here. But when we say we're op it's optional, it's way optional. And if you submit scores, we'll consider them. And if you don't, we'll still consider you um, and you won't be at a disadvantage. So optional really means optional. Fantastic, thank you. The the next my my question we've kind of talked on uh, touched on a little bit you know every year this really happens sort of in the spring of the year there are a lot of news coverage of students who get into you know, all top tier schools like Vanderbilt or all Ivies and then they they go into sort of this in depth story about you know this kid's done amazing things survived amazing hardships. Uh, triumphed in the face of adversity. And so a lot of the students I work with, when it's time to really tell their story, they judge it. They feel like they don't have anything to say because they are comparing themselves with the students that the high profile students have been covered in the media mostly, or, you know, you go on some of these sites and you read, you know, some of these essay sites and the students read them and they're like, oh, wow, my life's kind of dull compared to this. Um, and so that's why I wanted to pose the question to you for those students who have not uh, experienced any devastation. The question I pose to you that I'm hoping will help some of our listeners is, can a student who's never known poverty or significant hardship write a compelling essay? The answer is a quick yes, they absolutely can. And, and it relates to what I was saying before, as you've alluded to. Um, students are 17 or 18 years old when they apply to college by and large. Certainly this audience is that age or their parents. And the vast majority of 17 or 18 year olds have not really experienced trauma. Many have, and it is 100% fair to say that admissions officers will read a, a fair number of pretty harrowing essays every season and really amazing stories of perseverance against all odds. That absolutely is true. We do see those kinds of essays. But you know what? They're not the majority of the essays that we read. A lot of essays that we read are simply about normal, everyday kind of teenage experiences, the kinds of adjustments, the kinds of challenges, the kinds of uh, of experiences that normal everyday teenagers have, regardless of what income level is, right? Um, there is a shared experience of being a teen. Um, there are all kinds of ways that that experience veers, you know, um, and can come different forms that are related to the family circumstance, poverty or wealth. Um, geography in, impacts it, uh, family lifestyle and composition impacts it. And that's part of, of, of why we focus so much in holistic processes on context, right? Um, so, so sometimes we get a question, for instance, um, students, well, why, why do you ask about parents on the application? Why do you ask about my home on, on the application? And the answer is it provides us some context for what your background is, right? And it helps us understand a little bit more, even if you don't write about it, your family life might be like. 
And so um, admissions officers, especially those that have lots of training, which all of us spend a good deal of time on, are pretty adept at ferreting out context from the application. Context comes in, in the uh, kind of uh, the name, rank, and serial number blocks of the application. It comes in the essay. It comes in the recommendations that we require, and it comes in the extracurricular activities grid. All of those things, context clues for the reader of the application. And every one of those, um, when you take them together, hopefully will draw a picture of that student. Um, you know, not every single student at every single college has experienced adversity, though many will have. Not every single student at every single college will have had a very easy life growing up, but there will be some that did, right? And so I, I want the student not to think about comparing herself to others, right? I'd, I'd rather the student compare him or herself to him or herself, right? What is it about you, the applicant, that you want the admissions officer to know? Don't worry about what stories that everybody uses, right? Because you can't control those. Control what you control in the application. Give us the best picture you can of your life, whatever that life is, and then let us read about it. Um, that's really my best advice on this front. Be yourself, be honest. I encourage students to include details because I think it's the details that resonate with the reader. And like you said earlier, there are human beings reading the essays. <laughs> yeah, not... that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Lynn, your your question recalled when my first child applied to college and he seemed almost a little put out with me that his life had not been hard enough. <laughs> And hence, he had nothing to write about. Um, so the questions I posed to him, and, and Lynn knows this child, so she's she's giggling. Um, the question I posed to him was, what do you do? What do you know? What's important to you? And how do you feel about it? And he got to it. It, it, it just, it's simple. It was, it was something he did all the time, and that was running. And that essay was about running, and it took a while, but it got there, and so for kids that are listening right now, what do you do? What do you know? What's important? And how do you feel about it? Exposure to Varsity Blues this year. Um, reading about it, seeing it on television, it's all been sensationalized. Um, and it kind of blew the lid off of people paying for things in the admissions process. That was pretty egregious. It was getting in by not telling the truth. Um, but there are people out there who who pay for services to help put applications together. Um, and so my question to you is, how much help is too much help on a college essay? And, and how does a college admissions officer sniff that out? What, what stands out as too much help? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. It, this is more of an art, I think, than a science um, when it comes to evaluating files like this. But we spend a lot in our office, we spend a lot of time reading sample essays from, from years past, right? And including some that we think have been um, submitted with maybe a little bit too much editorial help. Um, and it's interesting, when you read hundreds of these kinds of essays, uh, you, you, you can pretty quickly identify what a 17 or 18 year voice sounds like. Um, and of course, there are individual differences. There are people who are just naturally better writers than others. Um, but but there is also a way 
that older adults write um, that is pretty distinct when you see it in comparison to writing from, from young adults. Um, and sometimes it's, it's, it's regarding syntax, sometimes it's regarding uh, the use of words. Certain words um, are older, I'm air quoting older words than <laughs> other words. Um, and, and those can sometimes be um, cues that, that a little too much editing has happened. But I want to be really careful with this response because I think it's in students' best interest to always seek advice on, on these essays right, and on what they submit on the application. Um, I, 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 don't, I, I don't ever want a student to let somebody else do it for them, right? But, but I think it's perfectly okay for a trusted teacher or, or other faculty, other adult or even a friend who's really good at English, right, to, uh, to, to look at something you've written and make sure that, that it's up to snuff. Make sure that you haven't um, misspelled a word or have a dangling participle or anything like that. You know, uh, it's okay to seek advice in the drafting period, but you want what you finally put, um, put in the essay block to really be your own. I'm sure, you know, I, I think about this and I'm sure uh, some slip through the cracks occasionally, um, but, but we do our dead level best to 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 sniff that authentic voice of the student. But it's an art; it's not a science. There's no formulaic way uh, to to figure that out. And I and I do agree. We tell our students that that it does take a village to to make sure you sound like yourself and that you're putting your best foot forward through your piece of writing. Um, but to, you know, to have interesting, it. Vicky, I think sometimes um, 17, 18 year olds, college applicants have a tendency to under under sell themselves or under describe themselves. And that's one of the main reasons I think students should let someone look at that essay, look at that extracurricular activity chart before they submit it, because there's a really endearing humility to a lot of, of college applicants. Um, and sometimes it takes the adults and the other advocates that they have work, working them to tell them bring that to light. Um, and so I, I always encourage um, students to seek advice like that. And it's funny, you know, I've been doing this a little time and one of my children very much was aware that dad was a director of admissions and she absolutely wants to leverage that um, every time we want to visit and when she was preparing her application. The other one, seem not to even know what I did for a living because I certainly <laughs> never was granted the privilege of seeing that application. Now, you know, he went on, he got into his first choice college. So I trust that someone looked at that essay. It wasn't me. I don't know. But um, my, my point is students will approach this in a variety of different ways um, and they'll seek different advice from different people. And that's perfectly okay. And I think the important thing is if, if you let people weigh in it, just to make sure it your voice stays at the center of, of the writing. You know, John, over the years, admissions offices have developed various uh, strategies for managing the volume of, of applications. Some offices, uh, they pair up, they're multiple readers, uh, while there are still probably some of the smaller schools still may have a single reader or read by territory. Um, how easy is it to spot an essay that I'll describe as lacks authenticity? 
It's like I said before, it can be really tough. Um, and in my opinion, uh, it's one of the, the reasons that we, at least at our place, we have a dual review process. Um, so that uh, if we, we two opinions, uh, so to speak, on every single, uh, every single file, and you know, sometimes the commentary from one of the evaluators looks pretty different than, than, than the other evaluator. And those are the kinds of situations that we did to a little bit more deeply before we extend the offer mission or make the decision. Um, so it's kind of a checks and balances kind of system in, in a way, but it's it's precisely this notion that um, that forgeries or inauthenticity can be can be hard to to identify in every case. Um, the the dual review provides a measure of mitigation against that, in my opinion. You know, my former colleague, uh, she used to give the students an example of an essay that one of her students turned into her and it had the word tickled in it, tickled as in humorous, as in funny. And not one of the students responded because quite frankly, tickled is not a phrase or expression that anyone born after 2002 uses. <laughs> This is a perfect example of what I was saying before, Lynn. There are sometimes word clues, right? Tickled is what my grandmother was. Something funny a child. Yes. Yes. It's not. That's uh, students today are cut up or whatever they are, right? They're not tickled. Oh, and that's a that's a good example of the kind of um, syntax or word word cue that might tip us off a little bit too much. Editing has been. Yes, Dylan and Nikolai, when is the last time something was so funny you were tickled? Never. Yeah, pretty much never since 2002. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Off of the, these, so these past couple of questions, for students who want to know if their essay is headed in the right direction, who should students trust to give them an honest opinion without going too far in terms of the inauthenticity? I don't know. I, it, that's a really good question, Dylan. I, I, I think... Um, some people, it, it's going to be their parent um, or their guardian. For others, it's going to be their college counselor, like like Miss Stewart or or Miss Thompson. For others, it's going to be an English teacher, um, and for others, it's going to be a friend. And, and I don't think it matters who it is. It's it's it needs to be someone that that the student or trusts, right? Um, to, to be honest with them, um, and to kind of hold their feet to the fire regarding authenticity. Perfect. Thank you. So I have two questions for you. Why do colleges ask supplemental questions? And realistically, what can you learn about a person in 150 to 200 words? I love this question a lot. Supplemental <laughs> question because we have shared application platforms, right? Um, so I, I'll give an example. Uh, my my institution does not ask a by Vanderbilt question. We don't, um, and a lot of people wonder why we don't. We don't because when we used to ask that question, um, we got one of two kinds of answers. One was an answer that made it 100% clear that the, that the student applicant had read our website or had read the brochure that we gave them, right? And we said all of our great words right back to them. That was why at Vanderbilt. The other um, frequent answer to that question skipped Vanderbilt entirely and went right to the career. They saw Vanderbilt as the throughput to becoming a doctor or business person, right? And that didn't do anything for us either because it didn't illustrate student had read the materials, right? 
So our supplemental question asks the student to expand on their favorite extracurricular activity or honor or award. Um, and in that way, we get a little bit of a deeper understanding of that extracurricular activities chart or grid that's on the application about the thing that's most important to you. The second part of your question is one that I love the most and I want you to think about really, really hard. We've been spending a lot of time these last few minutes talking about getting input on your personal statement on the big essay. Again, I'm using miracles there. People don't tend to get help on the 150 to 100, 200 word response. It's a little bit less polished, a little bit more off the cuff, a little bit more, what's the word? Authentic, that's why. Um, and uh, Bingo. That's, that's not only reason, but it is a really interesting side effect of the short answer question. And that's why you see more and more of those on applications these days. What should an applicant write about or include in the new COVID section on the common application? This is a good question, too. Uh, both the common and the coalition have added a space for you to talk specifically about how the pandemic has impacted you. And um, I really think it's a, a smart move on the part of the application platforms, because otherwise, I think our main essay would have been chock full of COVID um, all year long. And this gives the student, I think, the agency to write about something else that is really important to them for the main essay and not think that they have to use that real estate for the COVID response. So um, I, I really don't know what to expect um, with these responses. I think, as I, as I indicated earlier, that some of them are going to be pretty heartfelt and hard to read. And I also think it's possible that there are going to be students out there who, who haven't actually been impacted as much as others have been in the pandemic, depending on where they are and where they're from and what their family composition is. So, so I'm, I don't know what to expect from that yet. It's one of the pieces of our application reader training that we're a little bit worried about this year because we know uh, we have no experience reading that kind of essay um, or this kind of response. I'd say it won't be an essay. Um, again, kind of consonant with everything else that we've said, you got to be authentic about it, right? Um, and um, all of these on the applicant platforms, the COVID-19 questions are optional, which too. Going all the way back to our question about is optional really optional? Yeah, it's really optional. You know, the, the why question, I think is probably one of the most important questions that students don't ask in this admission process. Because you know the reality is, it's not just about getting into college. Once you're there, once you've landed, if you didn't understand what your why was, then on those days it gets really hard. You're not going to know why you're still doing it, why you're staying mm -hmm. there. You got to yeah. know what your why is. You know, if your top school is, if you're a Florida kid and your top school is in New York. There are hundreds of schools between where you are and where that school is. So what is it specifically about that school, that environment? What's your why? So on those days when you had terrible tests and it's really hard and it's cold and it's gray and you miss your family, you can recenter by going back to what your why is, why you chose that institution in the first place. And that's the one 
That's probably the one question that students should ask before they ever even submit anything is what is their why? Yeah, I love that advice, Lynn. I think you're exactly right. And the corollary to it is that students need to do research in the college search process, right? Because you can't know the why if you haven't researched the features um, of the institutions that you're considering. Um, so research is also intensely personal, in my opinion. You can't just rely on what your, your family thinks about a place that you're considering. Um, and you owe it to yourself to dig beyond the glossy brochures that we can do um, by connecting with students or faculty or, or whatever other ways we have made available in this virtual world for you to connect and learn. Research is part of the college search process, too, that sometimes gets glossed over, I think. The research leads to the why, as you said, and I, I really like that connection. We um, have our students answer a why question for us before they apply to any of their schools. And it does a couple of things. One, it helps inform their responses to supplement questions. And then it also helps them understand that, yes, it's a good idea for me to apply here, or maybe it's not. Um, it's a real good exercise if your list is a little lengthy and you need to narrow down that, that pool of schools. Um, and if you can't answer the question, why you're applying, it's hard to be sincere in your application and, and communicate how much you really want to be there. So, John, you experienced the college process uh, firsthand with your, your own children. And um, I know having walked through that process with my own children, I learned a lot about myself as a professional and a, a lot about my kids that that was new to me, uh, just seeing the growth they experienced and all of that. Um, you mentioned that one of your children didn't seek a whole lot of help or input on an essay, but one did. Um, for the one who did, what kind of feedback was she looking for and, and how much guidance did she want? You know, it's really interesting. Of course, in high school, the applicants rely on the parents and the family to kind of get them to the places as you're doing visits. Back in the COVID world, when actual campus visits were, were, were a real thing, um, and it will be again in the future, I know. Um, but I remember for my family, one of the big learning lessons happened on, on a campus visit. And um, I remember distinctly being told to go to the back of the tour group. Um, <laughs> do not walk next to me. Um, and, and that was fine. I, my wife and I moved to the back of the tour, but we could still do tour guide. But in between stops of the tour where, um, you know, as we walking on, along the paths, I noticed my kid talking to the tour guide. Um, and I, I don't know what they were talking about, but my brain immediately was like, oh, well, that's something she wanted to know about that she didn't want me to know that she wanted to know about, right? Um, and that's okay. That's part of that research that we were just talking about. Um, and I never really asked her about that or anything. Um, I remember, um, I, I remember distinctly having to train myself as a parent and as a missions professional to step back and let student take the lead. And for the students that are listening today, I think that's a really important piece that maybe you haven't considered before. Everybody focuses on how the college search process is a, is a big transition for the student applicant, and it absolutely is. It's your launch in young adulthood, right? It's your 
it's the beginning of your of your really true independence. But I, I think an element that is lost, if there are any parents listening out there, is it's also a huge transition for the parent um, or for the guardian. Um, it's the loss of control. It's it's what we all want that growth towards independence, but but it was surprisingly emotional to us. Um, and I mean, now of course we love being in nesters, but in the in the first few months of it, it was hard. Um, and students, I would just ask that perhaps you extend your parents a little bit of understanding, a little bit of grace, because this is going to be an adjustment for them in the process too. Um, and and you you can't lose sight of that. I also found that it that it that we communicated with another in ways that were different than they ever had before, ways that were a little less transactional, you know, um, and a little more philosophical about what you want from life. Now we didn't do that at every single meal. That wouldn't have wouldn't have worked. We had, had to have specific times. We had to be ready when the times presented themselves, um, because we know students. You don't always want to talk about the college search process. You got a lot of other things going on in life. But when you want to talk about it, we've got to be ready for it as, as your parents and guardians. And um, um, anyway, it's a transition for the whole family. And I, I think that's also one of the reasons that the college search process and working in this session has been so rewarding to me. Um, just to watch and how I know that college education changes the life, not for the student who's experiencing it, but for the, but for the whole family that's involved. And, um, and I love that part. I love being... Um, a, a part of that life transition for so many people. It's a wonderful ride. Thank you, John. Thank you, John, for being here with us today. Um, is there anything you would like to share with our listeners that hasn't been discussed? You know, I think the four of you have been great questioners. I, I enjoyed the, the, I really enjoyed this opportunity. And um, I hope that somebody out there, either a student or a parent, glean some little nugget from from one of the five of us that that will help ease their ease their path along the way and, and to dylan and nicola i will say your questions were really really thoughtful and uh and i wish you guys luck as you go through the process yourselves well thank you yeah thank you so much john thank you for we, we'd all like to thank john Gaines from vanderbilt university for being our guest today um, our next episodes coming up will cover scholarships and financial aid and help seniors with a an essential to-do list as they move through this process this year for more information discussed in this episode please visit d100.college the views information or opinions expressed during this episode are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of their respective institutions or organizations Thank you for tuning in to Talk College to Me. See you next week.